Hello, and welcome back to another edition of the Emerald Sports Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Shane Hoffman, and today we're going to be talking some basketball. I've been in Indianapolis for the better part of the last week or so covering the men's tournament, and Carly is covering the women's down in San Antonio. So today we're going to do a little split podcast as usual. Uh, We'll start out talking about the women's uh, team who played last night. We were recording this on Tuesday. Um, and then on the back half, Chris is going to join me to talk about the men's uh, win over Iowa. I'm here with Carly, and I'm also here with a very special guest, Emma Spath, who worked for us on the desk last year. She covered the uh, women's Pac-12 tournament in Vegas, so she really got to see the last few games of that iconic Oregon team up close, um, personal covering that. Uh, for starters, Emma, how are you and what have you been doing since you left the Emerald? Hi, uh, thank you so much for having me on. It's great to be back uh, at the Emerald just for today. Um, since graduation, I, uh, I actually, I worked as a tutor for a while and I just got hired as the sports writer for the Half Moon Bay Review in Half Moon Bay, California. So I'm super excited to get started there and you know, hopefully use some of the stuff I learned at the Daily Emerald in Oregon. Awesome. Well, I did not know that. So that is the first time I'm hearing that. Congratulations. Uh, I guess it's not impossible to find sports reporting jobs in the industry. Um, and that's that's awesome news, uh, not only for you, but just for our desk to see that some of us are going to go on and maybe be able to find opportunities, like I said. Um, well, let's let's hop into the game last night. Uh, Carl, you were there in the Alamo, Alamo Dome, excuse me. Mm-hmm. Um, not the not the greatest press box. It's a little far away. <laughs> But um, you were you were close enough to see a lot of the details. Uh, run us through, I guess, your overall uh, takeaways from last night's game. First, I just want to say congrats to Emma. I did not know that as well. That is huge, and I'm so so proud of you. That's just amazing. Um, as far as the game goes, yeah, it was it was a really cool atmosphere to be in. Obviously, just being like there, immersed you know, with the players, it's kind of hard to see. Sometimes I get mixed up with like some of the players, like I couldn't read the numbers and stuff like that. But as far as the game goes, that was, the first half was probably the best half of defense I've seen them play all year by by far, I would say. And especially with this team, with Pow Pow being out, they've really had to adjust in so many, readjust in so many areas. But I think that was, even Gray said it himself, that was the best, first half of defense that he's seen so far and I totally agree with him so a lot to go off of on that and a lot to improve on and a lot to build on from that first half that we saw and the entire game basically they dominated the whole entire game but that first half was especially and Emma could probably say more about that but that was just a really dominant defensive half in my eyes. Um, yeah, absolutely. And I also think that for Oregon to come off of losing five out of their last six games, and especially mm-hmm. losing the, the the quarterfinals against their rival of Oregon State, yeah. to take a break and take a rest and then come back with that much energy is is really hard to do. And I think that the game was completely decided within those first 20 minutes and and to to keep South Dakota to nine points in the first half as you said it requires just such incredible defense and such incredible teamwork Um, but also they they pushed so hard on their offense as well and they were just you know going to the basket and, and finding lanes and they weren't easy shots that they were getting off either it was it was you know you saw um Sobley and she was you know, just completely driving down and finishing through traffic. I mean, she was, you know, up in 
shooting over people and there were some pretty tough shots and and Aaron Boley as well I, I believe that she scored more in the first half than South Dakota scored in the yeah. entire first half yeah I think you guys raised great points there um to me watching that first quarter quarter and a half um it, it reminded me of the teams of the last few years just I mean you know not only just the smothering defense, but mostly the offense of just having those massive leads in the first half where it just felt like South Dakota never had a chance. Um, Carly, we talked a lot about having, you know, without, without pow pow, someone having to step up um, some guard or someone. And we were kind of talking about it from an offensive perspective, but what happened is Maddie sure got the start and just wrecked havoc on defense. And you wrote about that a little bit in your piece in your gamer last night. Um, It's interesting looking down, just kind of glancing over the box score, obviously. Um, Aaron Boley had that huge first half. It just had a great game, ended with 22, hit several threes. I mean, she had been kind of in a a cold uh, shooting slump. But then other than that, it was really just Sobley and Prince scoring double digits, um, kind of the posts up front. Um, But nobody else had more than five points outside of those three. So I guess yeah. throwing this back to you, Carly, um, obviously you were impressed with Maddie Scher's defense. Um, is this a recipe for success moving forward for Oregon? Can they just rely enough on and, and, and Prince and Sobley have been in and out of the lineup, especially Prince with injuries. Can they rely on these two forwards down low going forward if they're not going to get much production from the perimeter? Uh, yes, but I also, de- I think it depends because he's been changing the lineup so often, literally this whole season. And I honestly think it depends on who their opponent is. For Georgia, they might switch it up again. Who knows? But I think adding in Maddie Shear, she was definitely in um, for defense, especially. And against when they lost against Oregon State, she was in there just to guard Aaliyah Goodman, and she did a fantastic job guarding her as well. So I think in your from your question, I think it's a good starting point. It's a good foundation to build off of. They need this energy and this momentum to carry them over into Georgia because that's a whole, we're going to get into that in a little bit, but that's just, it's a good foundation to go off of for sure. Yeah. Well, yeah, we'll definitely get to Georgia in a second Um, before we we do get to Georgia um, who Oregon will be facing next. uh, Emma, I'm curious if there's anyone um, or anything that jumped out to you besides kind of that defense and then the, the low post presence we've already talked about. Um, well, I definitely think it was significant. Um, the starting lineup was significant because uh, there was only one starter in South Dakota that was taller than 5'11". So I think that, that Kelly Graves, when, when deciding on his starting lineup for that, for this past game, he relied heavily on the height. And we saw it on both the defensive end and the offensive end that it, it completely paid off. Um, but I also think that uh, it's been interesting for me, at least, to see um, – how the freshmen have been playing and how they've all, I mean, we have these pieces from the, this, the, this team last year, um, you know, Boley, but then also Sobley and Prince who, who sat on the bench for the tur- or I guess they didn't make it to the tournament last year, but at least when I was there for the, the PAC 12 tournament, they were on the bench. So they, you know, they're, they're there and they're making a presence now, um, but kind of fitting the pieces together for this team that's both new and old, which I'm, I'm sure is also why the lineup changes a lot too is, I'm sure um, Graves is kind of figuring out what's working. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I thought it was a really good game plan, to be honest. I thought having Prince and Sobley both down low against Sherbin, who was a couple inches smaller than both right, of them. She's, I thought she's, that was thinner, really good. she's only 6'2". Yeah, yeah, so. I, yeah, she's still, yeah, she's still a really, she was one of their top scorers. 
So I thought it was a really, really good game plan to have both Stably and Prince to start out and have Maddie here on top of that to combat their really good guard. So I thought their game plan was solid. So hopefully they'll do that against Georgia. Right. Yeah. And I think they, they started to jump in. I think they have the, the luxury of being able to start both of those players in Prince and Stably because they do have someone like Lydia Giomi off the bench. Um, and some of these other freshmen that bring, bring some height, um, you know, especially, I mean, they were playing a small team in South Dakota and, and Georgia is not, not quite as small up front. Um, but I, it's nice that they have that luxury as well. And, and Bully gives some size as well, obviously. Also going back to what Shane said about, and Emma about Aaron Bully, she had a great, she had a solid game last game, but I think the difference between this game and when she was kind of in that scoring drought, the past five, six games of the season, this game, she was looking more for her shot in terms of, you know, they were running their sets before, but she would just kind of, if she wasn't open, she wouldn't take it, just dribble it out. But this one, I felt like she was looking for her shot with more conviction. She was looking to get where she wanted to go. I mean, in one set, I remember they ran for her and she took like one dribble, step back, like automatic. And I felt like in the past six games or so, she didn't really do that. If she didn't have that initial shot, she would just kind of back it out. But against South Dakota, I feel like she was definitely more, trying to find her shot more and getting to her spots to where she wanted to shoot it. Yeah, I completely agree. I also think that that looking at Bully this season, as opposed to last, and even as opposed to earlier this season, I mean, she's always been known as as for her three point shot, and she she knows how to how they they just know to get it to her there, and she can she can make it. But um, at least in last night's game, we were seeing her sort of driving down for so many two point shots, and I I think that it creates a lot more movement than just relying on her to be in the corner, and it also it's she's become much more of a leader on the team and that's kind of what Oregon needs losing a lot of their players last year and a lot of their um, more veteran players I think that this season and especially last night stepped up and she was making opportunities and driving to the basket instead of um, kind of just being relied on as only a three-point shooter. I'm glad both of you mentioned oh go ahead ahead. (laughs) excuse me I'm glad both you mentioned her just because she was like the person you looked at in terms of like, okay, like she's got to have a big year if this team is going to be good. And this team has been so weird this year. Like we've talked about like people you may have thought would step up like a, like a Taylor Chavez or or someone like that haven't necessarily. Um, And then there's been this big group of freshmen and then you've got someone like Mike Sill, Sobley's back. So it's such a weird team in terms of like so many players and new roles that seeing her have a performance like this, she plays 36 minutes, the most on the team um, last night. And, and just and just stepping up scoring-wise is, is so crucial if they're going to make any type of run here. For sure. Should we uh, transition and talk about Georgia a little bit? Um, so Let's do Georgia, it. Georgia beat Drexler, um, and now Oregon uh, is, is slotted to face uh, Georgia, who's a three seed. Um Unlike South Dakota, Georgia has some size. Uh, they have a girl named Jenna Stady uh, up front who is, is pretty dominant. She's, you know, 15 and eight a game, points, rebounds. And then not only that, but she's a defensive presence, 84 blocks on the year, um, which is, you know, th- more than like three a game, which to per- put that in perspective, uh, Sobley leads Oregon in blocks and she's got 24. So it's almost the Ducks worst nightmare in terms of, you know, they, they, they get past South Dakota using their size because South Dakota has no one to stick on Sobley and Prince. 
who are legitimate, um, you know, post post sized players. Uh, now with Stady, Stady is, is someone that they can stick on at least one, if not both of them alternating off and maybe slow them down. So I'm curious, um, and I'll start with you again, Carly, where Oregon, because we've mentioned it now, Graves has changed up the lineup so much. I wonder if Oregon maybe makes another change or if they just kind of stick with their, their guns up front and try to just run out that kind of two post lineup again. I think it could go either way. I feel like they could definitely stay with Savoli and Prince both in the post. Um, possibly we could definitely see some double teams coming towards Sadie because once she gets the ball and solidifies her presence in the post, there's not a lot stopping her. I mean, she's a little smaller in height um, versus Sobley and Prince, but her strength and her size is what makes her so dominant. She leads the SEC in blocks and she's dominant on both ends of the floor. So she's definitely going to cause some problems for Oregon on both sides. So I wouldn't be surprised if we saw some double teams coming in either from Prince and Savoli or maybe one of the guards as well, pinching in a little bit tighter um, from the perimeter. So I think we could see a mix of things, but definitely stopping her on offense is going to be a challenge, a challenge for sure for the Ducks. Um, at, at least from a defensive standpoint, I could see Graves keeping the, the two posts in just to, to keep some height around down there. But I also think that that's, that's relying on an offensive standpoint um, a lot on the guards and on the outside. Um, and as we saw with South Dakota, a, a lot of their points came from, from the inside. Um, I also think that against South Dakota, they were, they were switching up their defense a lot between a zone and a man-to-man. And it was just, I, I think it was to disrupt momentum and South Dakota is a smaller and a faster team and it was to disrupt that momentum and I'd see them sticking to one and just as Carly said maybe maybe doing a double team or I, I, I think that switching it up too much it, it would uh, not work out well. Yeah, yeah unlike I, South Dakota they're Georgia's very guard heavy yeah as well. or I mean they're they're good on both sides of the ball they have Q Morrison who's co-defensive player of the year and then you also have Jenna Stady down low so I think the game plan is going to be switched up a little bit for this team especially because South Dakota is really good at shooting and on the outside but then also like you said Emma Georgia's more smaller but speedier more aggressive so I wouldn't be surprised if there was a tweak in the game plan yeah I mean and they have these these three senior guards so it's it's Jenna Stady who's a redshirt senior center. Um, and then it's Q Morrison, Gabby Connolly, and Maya Caldwell. All of them average around double digits. Um, uh, Q Morrison is really their point guard who initiates all the action there um, in terms of spreading the ball. Um, it's a tough matchup because there's so much experience and it, it's, not, it's not the greatest uh, look for this Oregon team. Before we get out of here, though, uh, and who knows when we'll get this podcast out. It's, it's tough. Everybody's on break right now. So this might be coming out after the game happens. So let's give some predictions. They, they might come back to haunt us a little bit. If if Sure was kind of the breakout star X factor of the South Dakota game, um, and I'll start with you, Emma, who is who is that that player for the Georgia game, win or loss? Uh, I think I'd have to say uh, Taylor Mikesell because – 
I, I do think that Oregon is going to rely a little bit heavier on the outside players for this game against Georgia. And I also think that she has kind of a, a, a calming presence on the court. And it, Oregon plays uh, oftentimes kind of like a young team and, and they get this momentum going and they just want to push and push and, and they need someone out there who, who knows when to pull it back and when to slow things down. And uh, Oregon had 20 plus turnovers in, against South Dakota. And I think that in this next game, if, if they want to continue, it really will be crucial for them to, to know when to slow it down and when to, you know, think things through and set things up. I'm going to have to counter that. I'm going to say because Georgia is known for their defense and especially in the backcourt with Morrison, um, I mean, Taylor had seven turnovers last game out of their 23. So I don't see her doing particularly well. I mean, I hope she proves me wrong, but I don't see her doing particularly well, especially with the on-ball defense that they have. Um, so I'm going to say, I'm going to say Maddie Shear again, just because I can see her matching up with Morrison at that um, point guard at that top spot. And hopefully she can slow her down because Morrison can play both sides of the ball. She almost had a triple double last game too. So I say if Shear can slow her down and then Prince and Sobley can hopefully help Stady, um hold down Stady in the post, that could be a really good thing to have. But I'm going to say Maddie Shear. Two good picks. Um, uh, it'll be interesting to see, especially, you know, Jazz Shelley didn't play last game. We don't know when Pow Pow will get back. Maybe, maybe you know, Shelley returns. Um, you guys raised some excellent points. I, again, I don't think it's a particularly great matchup for Oregon. Could they pull it out? Yes. Um, again, I'm not going to go too deep into predictions because this might come out after the game. I don't want to look like an idiot. Um, but, yeah, I, you know, I think if, if there's – I guess if there's one bright spot, Georgia – only beat the 14 seed by uh, 14 points. So maybe you look to that. Um, either way, though, it should be an entertaining matchup. I think that'll do it for this half of the podcast. Emma, thank you so much for joining us. Carly, as always. Um, and like we said earlier, congratulations so much, Emma. It's great that you've landed a job within the industry, um, even if it ends up being somewhat temporary and you move in another year or two. It's good to get your uh, foot in the door. So thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, thank you so much for having me, and, and thank you. I'm super excited to get started there. Perfect, and we will transition now to the men's half of the podcast. Joining me from a different state, uh, but uh, someone who also watched the game today is Chris Brulé. How are we doing, Shane? Good. So I just got back from Banker's Life uh, Fieldhouse, where I covered... Uh, the Ducks route, the upset they pulled off over the Iowa Hawkeyes. Uh, they take down the Hawkeyes 95 to 80 in a game that is, I guess, more closely resembling a track meet than a basketball game. Uh, Oregon got pretty much anything they wanted on the offensive end. Uh, I said earlier this week that Luca Garza might get 40 and it might not matter because their perimeter defense, the Hawkeyes that is, is, is so poor. And that's almost what happened. Garza, um, the Naismith candidate, ends with 36 and 9. Um, but it's not enough in the end. Um, the Ducks had four players, four starters, uh, score 17 or more points. They hit 44% of their uh, threes. They shot over 50% from the field. Uh, you know, Chris, you obviously weren't you know here with me, but you watched it. What were your, I guess, first takeaways? I mean, yeah, it's pretty much what you just said. Luca Garza had basically, I don't want to say meaningless 36, but it seemed like the game plan for the Ducks was 
to just kind of let him do what he does and, and try to stop the other guys. And that's what they did. I think Jordan Bohannon finished with zero. I know he had zero late. Uh, that's huge. Uh, Wieskamp, he had a couple of threes, but he wasn't a huge threat. And uh, yeah, they, they couldn't stop the Ducks on defense, man. I think it was nine or 10 uncontested dunks, which is like the most in an NCAA game in like yeah. five years. Yeah, I read that. ESPN pulled that stat out of their ass. Yeah. Um, but boy, I mean, it's I'm so used to watching this this Oregon team Tuesday, Thursday nights in this Pac-12 where they're you know, slogging just to get 60, 70 points. And I feel like there's, they go whole games with one or two dunks maybe. And like I said, it was like a track meet. And, you know, if it wasn't the threes, it was these wide open transition dunks. I feel like it's like four or five Tomahawks in transition. It was a fun game to watch. Um, you know, going into this game, you wondered, you know, okay, they don't have someone in their starting lineup, at least that could even remotely guard or match up with uh, Garza size wise. Um, they switched everything. They fronted him in the post. You know, it was, it was Will back there sometimes. Sometimes it was Amarui, who had a few blocks on him and played really, you know, physical, um, just like he has all year. Um, but on the on the split, uh, on the on the on the flip, uh, excuse me, Iowa. You know, after having like a top three offense all season in the country, their defense um, was not good. It was probably you know in the fifties or sixties, according to Ken Palm, and we saw why. You mentioned Bohannon; he had zero points. And not only did he have zero points, but he was abysmal on defense. I, I Like, not kidding when I say maybe the worst defensive performance I've seen from a college player this year. And I haven't watched a ton. But I think Will Richardson alone made him fall over three times just off the dribble. Oh, yeah. Anyone who got him on a switch was one move and go to the rack. He was, I think, a minus 17. Um, you know, he played, what, uh, 19 minutes. Um, just not a good performance from him. Um, you did mention Wieskamp. He had a little injury. He played 34 minutes. Um, the only other guy who played in the 30s along with Garza. And he, he was good. Um, but the, the thing here was that Iowa, the reason they've been so good all season is that, you know, they have this kind of center down low that can do it all, but he's a great passer too. Um, Garza, it, you know, firing out to the perimeter, only had one assist. And it, it reflects in the Hawkeyes' three-point, you know, percentages. And looks, it ended up being eight for 25. I think he only had three in the first half, though. Um, meanwhile, Oregon hit 11 of them. What did you see about the way that maybe Oregon defended Garza and, and how they shut down that kind of potent Iowa attack on the perimeter, I guess? Well, yeah, like you said, they were switching everything, which I think when you have a, a lineup that's so short compared to the best player on the other team who is 6'10 and right. can stretch the floor, who can pretty much do it all. And like you it's said, easy he's a to great passer. Because everyone's the same height. Yeah, exactly. So you don't have to worry about a mismatch because technically they're all a mismatch down low. And, you know, I saw Will Richardson down low trying to trying to front the post. And there were a couple times where, you know, the ball got lobbed over and the help man didn't necessarily get over on time. And Garza got a couple and ones because of that. But, uh, you know, a lot of the Big Ten teams kind of had the same strategy against Garza is letting him get his 20 at least because he's such a great player, you figure he's going to get it anyway. But, you know, the Ducks with that lineup, they're all 6'6 and long, and they were slashing at the ball. You know, I know Richardson had a couple steals. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's just Iowa looked really slow to me is yeah. kind of the main thing. They, they um, really lack perimeter speed, and, and that was something that Duarte and Altman mentioned in the press conference afterwards. Yeah, just, so uh, yeah. it's like, you know – 
I think like Big Ten football, it's like that grit and grind, like pound it down. So it's like that's kind of what I, I thought of when I was watching Iowa today compared to, to us uh, just running the floor, getting easy dunks. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting, especially because we've seen the Pac-12 that was so maligned all year has had – I mean, they're still undefeated now. Yep. And, and they, I, uh, live right now, I think UCLA is playing. Right. I think they're they're crushing Albion and Christian. Um, or maybe not crushing, but I think they're up double digits. Meanwhile, the Big Ten, we saw Illinois lost. We saw Ohio State lost. Now Iowa goes down. Um, teams that – you know, it was on, on paper in the rankings was a stacked conference and Oregon again today kind of silenced that talk. Um, it's just, I, I feel like we've almost buried the lead here a little bit because we haven't even mentioned that their first game was canceled. I mean, that was, yeah, yeah. I think we kind of, we kind of, you know, jumped over that. Um, let's, let's rewind a tiny bit. I know it's, yeah. it doesn't make much sense now to go back, but Oregon ready to play VCU. They had prepared for a week that was looking like it was going to be a really exciting round one matchup, you know, a great defensive VCU with some really high scoring guards, you know, mostly just Nishan bones Highland mm-hmm. um, two hours. I'm sitting in my hotel room. I'm so ready to go cover it. Cause I'm going to do anything two hours before tip. Um, it gets canceled because um, there's contact tracing and I believe, you know, full on positive cases on VCU's team. Mm-hmm. It sucks not only for VCU who after working super hard all year had to go, and just leave uh, the bubble like that. But for, for the Ducks, I, I personally worried that they were going to run into this buzzsaw Iowa offense. They would get off to a slow start, and this team in Iowa that had already played a game would run them out early. Not at all what happened. I mean, it, Will, you mentioned Will earlier. Will played 40 minutes again. It's like the third time in the last five games he's played the entirety of, of the games. Um, he had like 19, 7, and 6 just really abused his matchup in Bohannon. Um, and he, he just makes that offense run like a well-oiled machine. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that there's so much to talk about this game. Another guy that's stuck out to me was Frank. Uh, Frank uh, still can't figure out his last name. Kepnong or Kepang. Both Kepnong. Yeah. Um, a guy who's just relentless in terms of the energy he brings. He was standing the whole time. You know, it's an arena full of, not full, but, you know, mostly Iowa fans there. And he was just up yelling on the Oregon bench. Then he comes in and it's almost like a fuck you to Iowa. It's like, we have this seven foot on the bench. You don't even need to use him. Yeah. He had a couple of nasty blocks and a dunk, I think. And he probably didn't even play five minutes, but he was just yeah, out there. Like he had like six minutes. Head. And I think they, they went on like an eight Oh run in, in yeah. those minutes, something like that. Um, but yeah, so there was, there were so many things to point to here. Um, well, I, I guess, what were you expecting today? Because I, I certainly thought Oregon had a chance um, just by mm-hmm. watching them. I think this is a super talented team. Um, and now that we're seeing how good the, that the Pac-12 has been playing, it, it makes you kind of rethink some stuff. But I definitely did not see this much of a route coming. Right. Yeah, I was uh, – so this weekend I was in St. Louis with my brother down there. We were watching the games and everything. And that was a bummer. We were looking forward to watching the Ducks. So when it got canceled, it was tough. But uh, I, I just kept thinking after that. I was like, you know, Iowa is a beatable team. I, I, I was worried. I can't lie. I, I was like, I only see one way that Oregon can win, and, and that's if they can keep pace with the scoring. And sure enough, they scored 95 points. In season high, yes. Yeah. So that's, I mean, they did what I thought they would have to do to win. You know, I obviously now that the game's over, it's, it's, not so easy to look back and say like, Oh, there was no way Oregon was going to win because they looked clearly the better team today. 
right. very, very clearly the better team. But uh, one question I have for you is I know like being on Twitter, it's a whole different type of uh, conversation when we're, we're talking about sports. But uh, do you think if hypothetically the Ducks were to make a run uh, to the Final Four, do you think playing one less game takes anything away from that accomplishment? That's a good question. Um, I've been thinking about that a lot. It's tough. Um, you know, it, it would have been one thing to me if they hadn't played the VCU game and they had come out and say they had played like a Grand Canyon or just a lower seed. Right. But they just routed a, a two seed. And so, yeah, we can sit here and say, well, the Big Ten, not as good as we thought it was. But this is how the bracketologists, the, the coaches, the, the people that make these, these brackets, these rankings, that's how they set it up. Mm-hmm. Iowa was a legit two seed. I know they had eight losses, um, but they're in a, <laughs> they're in a pretty stacked uh, conference. Um, so the fact that they beat Iowa, I don't think it takes much away. Maybe, but this is already kind of a weird year anyways. Um, mm-hmm. And we'll get to it in a second. I mean, there's just, again, there's so much with this game. We'll get to, you know, who they might play next, obviously. And Gonzaga looms large in this region. Yep. Um, but uh, I, 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 we, just to go back super quickly, because we didn't even mention him. How impressive was Figueroa? I know we're hopping around oh, but yeah. like five for nine from three. Like, just like he was taking like 25, 30 footers. And just nailing him. And then Duarte, he had one three, but nine for 12. Like he just had, he had like a 10 0 run by himself, mm-hmm. just knocking in ridiculous shots. Like that's why I've been saying all season this team is just so dangerous with those four wings. Yeah, I, I'd agree. You know, you play who's in front of you, and it just so happened there during the first round, there was no one in front of Oregon. So it just got bumped up. It was very interesting. I expected one of the games to get canceled. I did not expect it to be the Ducks game. Yeah. Well, my question is, you know, if now if a game gets canceled, now what happens? Yeah. What, ha- what happens if someone gets their game in the lead eight or the final four canceled? That's the N- NCAA's nightmare, right? See, yeah, that's totally a nightmare because you imagine if everyone's supposed to be in a bubble, if something, somehow the bubble is broken, then that puts every other team at risk. So 100%. It's-, yeah, it's, it's hard because VCU, you know, the coach, said that they followed protocol. I believe him. They were super disappointed. I don't think they saw that coming. I think Oregon saw that coming, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, I, being an indie, it's ridiculous. I mean, and I know there's COVID going on, but it's packed. It's, oh, yeah, I bet. It's cool to see people caring about sports and wearing all their gear, but it's it's a total nightmare just walking around in terms of if you were, if you were a coach just trying to keep your team safe. Right, right. Um, how does this – so – Okay, Oregon wins the Pac-12, which is now looking like a great accomplishment given that Oregon State is winning games. UCLA, who's playing right now, is looking like they're winning their, their third game. USC played and then is going to play again tonight, and that's going to be you know USC versus Kansas. The winner plays Oregon, so we'll talk about that yeah. briefly in a second. Um, ha- does this game, the last you know little bit, especially after them losing to Oregon State in the – tournament which is looking like a better and better loss if you want to put it that way how have your opinions or kind of outlook changed at all on this Oregon team and going off that um where did you see them in terms of their tournament ceiling entering the tournament and has that changed um yeah well we talked about it on the last pod like I this is basically like I'm not shocked that they beat Iowa at all we've been high on them yeah we've been high on on this team since the beginning so it doesn't really change my outlook on them at all. But now I'm looking ahead and trying to 
figure out, you know, Kansas versus USC, who's going to win that game and how are we going to beat the next team if we, if, you know, and moving forward with Gonzaga, of course, they're very scary for Oregon, but I mean, they're ceiling. Who knows, man, this term has been crazy so far. Like you said, the big 10 looked like the strongest conference. And now I think they only have two teams left, Maryland and Michigan and Pac-12 who, you know, doesn't get a lot of national recognition for the strength of the conference. They, right now they have two teams in the Sweet 16, potential five, if uh, Colorado, USC, and UCLA all win tonight. So, right. you know, we'll see what happens, man. It's crazy. Yeah, well, let's really quickly, we're recording this Monday uh, evening after the game, um, and, and this won't probably come out for a few days, so I don't want to predict the game tonight because it's going to happen tonight and we might look foolish, but let's just talk about really quickly, um, you know, if, okay. So if the ducks see USC again, it's a rematch, rematch, excuse me, from the first time they met in the regular season, that was at, uh, at USC. Uh, they got, the ducks got ran out of the building pretty early there with three point shooting. They have a top three and uh, NBA prospect in, in Mobley, another big, tall, uh, you know, center, someone who plays a lot different than Garza, leaner, more skilled, better defensively, or not, I don't know if more skilled, different, different kind of skills, different skill set, more, more yeah. perimeter oriented, right. Um, and much better shot blocker. So that also is obviously a challenge mm-hmm. for Oregon. Um, and then the other side, you have Kansas where they're missing Jalen Wilson, who is their kind of star freshman forward who, you know, he scores 12 a game, eight leads the team in rebounds with eight, which is ridiculous to me. Um, and they, I think they have somebody else and it's eluding me, uh, somebody else out with COVID, but it's a team that has guys like Oshai uh, Agbaji, um, Marcus Garrett, good perimeter defenders. And they do have David McCormack down low, who's a six ten kind of power big, if you will. Um, again, we don't need to predict the game, but I guess one, uh, I guess, you know, really just the question is if you're Oregon, who would you rather face and, and, and what kind of matchup problems might, you know, Kansas or USC give Oregon? That's tough. Um, both teams really good. I, I think you'd rather face USC if you're Oregon. Uh, yeah, I would agree. Um, just because of familiarity, you know, uh, you don't have to do as much game planning. You mm-hmm. kind of already know what you're getting. Um, you know, hard, I mean, it's hard, beat, it's hard to beat a team twice in a season, tw- you know, two or three times, yeah. especially. So, yeah. And you don't, again, if, if Kansas wins, there's going to be a lot more prep that has to be done um, for both the team and us, actually. Um, yeah, right. But uh, USC, you know, we've seen them look very good, obviously, uh, in their game against Oregon, but we've also seen them look very vulnerable. So um, I guess you just got to trust the coaches and if you're Oregon and just know that you're going to play your best game, no matter who you face. Yeah. I I think to answer your question, I think they'd rather, if you're Oregon, you probably want to play USC. Yeah. And I would agree with that. Like you said, the familiarity, you know, Evan Mobley is scary. He didn't do much in that game where the ducks lost so big and they made it close to the end, but it was really the perimeter um, shooting and scoring of USC. And I just think, in a rematch, I take Oregon's perimeter players. You saw what they did today. Obviously, that was, I guess, an easy yeah. in some ways. Um, they knew they were better. They knew they were faster, um, and they took advantage of it. It's not going to be the same against USC. Kansas is just, you know, that's a different kind of feel. Um, 
I think, you know, I don't want to give dive into it. I think USC pulls off an upset, if you will, tonight. And then I think the Ducks match up well with USC. And then I think I think the Ducks, I think I might extend my trip because I think the Ducks might be headed towards the Elite Eight to face Gonzaga, which would be a hell of a game, hell of a matchup with these two offers. Yes. Um, Chris, any closing thoughts here? Um, the Ducks look really good today. That's it. That's a hot take. <laughs> yeah, no, they, they looked great. Um, I'd be interested to see what comes out in the next few days, if anything changes, especially COVID-wise, like you mentioned. Yep. Um, Always got to be on your toes for that. Pr- precisely. Um, and that'll do it for us. Um, stay tuned with uh, the ODE Sports um, Twitter. You know, I'm, I'm going to be here in Indianapolis. We've got Carly in San Antonio covering the women. Um, whenever this podcast does end up coming out, make sure to you know, stay up to date with the website. We've got plenty of content coming your way. And as always, thank you so much for listening.